Start off. Cool. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Get a Word In with me, your host, Josh Wagner, connecting with friends from different locations and vocations, discussing yesterday, today, and beyond. And today, beyond, we're starting with a flavor profile. I'm going to get into it. It's soft, pink color, bright, tangy, and crisp with smooth texture and dry, lively fruit flavors, long, balanced, and charming. Charming like CEO and founder, Donne Burston of La Fête de Rosé, joining me today. It's great to have you, Donne. How are you? Hey, Josh. How's it going, my man? Thank you for having me. Did I did I nail the description all right? Because like I love yeah, let's talk. I, you I love me open talk. up this bottle right here. I was trying to wait, but now I'm like, okay, let's open it up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, it's first. It's great to have you here. I know you're super busy. I know you're pivoting your brand, and you're. We're gonna get into everything, but you know, yeah. I like to start everything off with a dinner table introduction, and I'm so happy you showed me that bottle because Donnie, the next time we are gonna be over a dinner table, we're gonna be sharing your rosé. And the store, and we're going to get into the party of what Lafette is. But here's how I introduce you over a dinner table. Ready for it? Yes. Donnie Burstow. Donnie has been in the luxury wine and spirits brand in industry for more than 15 years. Uh, before founding Lafette for roughly 10 years, Donnie was with luxury brand LVMH, working with brands such as Dom Perignon, Bouffe Clicquot, Belvedere, and Hennessy. Uh, in 2016, Donne went and ventured off to Armand de Brignac, uh, and he was in control of the southeastern United States, Latin America, and the Caribbean, uh, basically overseeing all their commercial and marketing goals. And a fun fact, he did increase their sales 206% in his tenure there. And that leads us here to today, where May in 2019, Donne founded and created La Fête de Rosé, which is the first all-black-owned rosé exported from Saint-Tropez, Provence, where all rosé should be from. I am ecstatic to have Donnie here with me today. What did I miss? Oh, man. <laughs> I think you covered all the bases. I appreciate that. I didn't even know some of that stuff about myself. I'm like, wow, forgot that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, man? You've done incredible work across the luxury sector. And the fact that you've gone off on your own and you're now an entrepreneur starting your own business, coming from a corporate background and introducing, I think, a completely misunderstood category in the business yeah. on a large scale. I'm pumped today to talk about Rosé. I'm pumped to talk about parties. I'm pumped to talk about future of marketing and agendas. It's great to have you here today, but I wanna start off from a story from you. So what people don't know, La Fête means party in French. La Fête yeah. de Rosé means a Rosé party. And for anybody watching that knows Donne, Donne has not only attended, but has orchestrated and created some of the greatest parties this world has ever seen. And I know he's encompassing that philosophy into his bottle of what the perfect party is. Donne, drop one Bacchanalian story of one of the greatest parties you've ever been to. Uh, I'd have to say, quite frankly, uh, honestly, I should say it was one of my first trips to the Cannes Film Festival uh, with a good friend of ours, DJ Ruckus and Joe Barr. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We just kind of went over there on the humble, like, God, let's just go. Ruckus has a gig. And when we landed, Ruck got a text, and it was the uh, Prince of Jordan saying, hey, come DJ at my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we roll up and we go. And just when you got into the party, first of all, the estate uh, in uh, Antilles was insane. But literally, it was people from all walks of life in there, from celebrities to non-celebrities, to heads of states, to models, to just, I mean, it was just a vibe. And for me, that's what LaFette is all about. It's a vibe of mixtures of different people from cross cultures, just coming together to have a really good time. 
Um, and, and that was one of the most memorable parties in my life. Like, it was so much going on that you can't even remember all of it. But I just know, like, when I was in there, I was just like, wow, this is insane. You know, once you got past the guard dog sniffing us down and the rifles and all that good stuff. <laughs> Did you see the sunrise there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've never gone to sleep during the Cannes Film Festival before sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. It's like if I would ever catch like a text from Johnny being like, "Yo, you should come to this place." Like, you better go. And you know what? I even put on linen today for you because I'm, <laughs> I'm like feeling like the South of France vibe right now. Like, I want like that's that's around the corner, and we are gonna get back to that feeling, and we are gonna have those parties yeah. again. And that's gonna help bring us there. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. I'm gonna start off with some rapid fire questions. Donny does not know what these questions are, and I hope to give him a little stumble. And you ready for it, Donny? Yes, let's go. Let's go. First question. Can you name all the sizes of wine bottles from small to large? God, no. Oh. Uh, 750, 1.5, which is a Magnum, which is the, the Jeroboam. Then there's the, I'm done. I got missed some in between. There's Nebuchadnezzar, there's Salamander, that's, and now I'm done. <laughs> well, I want to see Nebuchadnezzar size bottles because I know you've seen them go out and I want to see a Lafette one made sometime soon. Oh, I think there's like eight, right? We'll look it up eight. afterwards. Eight, yeah. eight different sizes. Yeah, there's a Methuselah, there's a Nebuchadnezzar. So yeah, there's the 750, there's the Magnum, the Jeroboam, the Methuselah. And then once you get beyond there, I'm like, Rahul yeah. bomb, like, just goes on. Something on. an entire refrigerator needs to hold one bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next question. Let's keep it really simple and easy for the layman's term. 101, Cliff Notes version. What is rosé? So rosé is a legitimate wine, first and foremost, because a lot of times in the past couple of years it's caught in a bad rap, but it's legitimate wine. But it's a, uh, it's a lighter red wine or white-ish wine, blush color wine made from red wine grapes. So the color comes from skin contact or signe, uh, which is where the color comes in. It's primarily produced, or what we like to say, the uh, mother region or the most known region is Provence, which is in the south of France. But the grapes were actually bought to Provence by the Roman Empire. So they've been around for a long time. Yeah. So so very simple because it's it's misconstrued. Rosé is wine. It's wine. <laughs> that's, yes. that's everybody. It's, it's wine. It's a different color. Stop thinking about it in one way. It's not just meant to be a certain drink, to, drink a certain way at a certain time of day. It's wine. Absolutely. Right? Right, I mean, I, I always tell people you drink Chardonnay and Chardonnay is the biggest wine uh, varietal, but people drink Chardonnay all different times of way. There's higher in Chardonnays, there's lower in Chardonnays, but yet when it comes to rosé, everyone just writes it off as this one thing. And that's certainly not the case. Word. Next question. How many countries have you visited in your life? I'm up to like 36 right now. Okay. Question yeah. for you. <laughs> I know you like you love entertainment and you accidentally got into the booze industry and entertainment yeah. led you into it. If you had to pick one talent and you were put on the stage, what would that talent be? Because oh, I know man. you self-admitted you can't sing or dance. <laughs> All right? If you had any talent you were put on the stage and I get what's your talent on the stage? Uh Man, I'd have to say interviewing people, actually. I could start strike up a conversation pretty much with anyone. A good conversation. Awesome. Not some elevator, shut the hell up conversation, but a real conversation. Beautiful. So you'd be a host. I'd be a host. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is one stereotype about Rosé that straight pisses you off? Oh, man. Uh, that it's not a real wine. Honestly, that's, you know, you, you catch that so often, like, oh, that's not real wine. It's just pink water. And that, you know, again, 
the category is caught in a bad rap for because of some of the brands that have come out over the years that haven't taken it seriously. So the, I would have to say that's the biggest thing that pisses me off. Okay. What is a PC? And please explain it because I enjoy them thoroughly and I know you do as well. Yeah. So uh, um, it's a traditional wine, quote unquote, cocktail, not so much. Just in the south of France or any warm weather climate, uh, the French will sprinkle a couple of ice cubes in their wine or champagne, and it's called La Passine, which basically translates to the swimming pool. So the ice is kind of in the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And again, it's done because they don't have large refrigeration units or it's super hot and the wine tends to get warm. You throw a couple of ice cubes in it and chill it down a little bit. But not so much like if you're making a Coca-Cola where you would just water the wine down, just enough to bring the temperature down to where you can really enjoy it. Because, I mean, people, when they try to get into wine, it's like, what's the ideal temperature? You know what the ideal temperature is? The one that you like. People exactly. will say, that's it. You know what? Don't don't overthink it because, you know, like, I like my red wine slightly chilled. It's like, people yeah. will say rosé should probably be around, what, 46, 47 degrees, whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah, anywhere between 45 to 50 degrees, but for me, I like it ice cold, so I'm going to go the other way. And if it's you know close to freezing, the better for me. I'm with you too, and I think people should experiment with the temperature of their wines because I think they'll open up the category more to themselves. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. just look at the way it is, and if you do experiment a little bit, you can discover new ways of consuming wines. I think it's important. All right, next yeah. question: Have you ever been starstruck? Oh yeah, 100. <laughs> Hold on, give us one. Um, I'm one of uh, Will Smith's biggest fans, so I uh, ran into him at our friend Marita's house, and I just had to, like, go the other way. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of him, but, you know, you just don't want to ever destroy the idea you have of people in your head. Um, so I didn't want to interact, and then, like, I catch him on a bad day, and then my whole idea of Will Smith is gone. <laughs> yeah. Will, snapshot, thank you. I could have, yeah. but I if you were that cool, I'm not changing it for nothing. <laughs> My friends are like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to go chill. I'm good. Like, trust me. It's all right. All right. <laughs> let, me, let me go to the next question. So you have an incredible background with uh, PR marketing. For LaFette, what would be your dream unsolicited photo capture that you just had nothing to do with? It landed on your desk tomorrow. You're like, yeah, that's what I wanted. Uh, Rihanna on a mega yacht drinking Lafette Rosé. Out of a glass or to the face? To the face. Take it to the head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got to ask. You've been to lots of parties. Do you have a favorite DJ? Oh, DJ Ruckus. Cool. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the, the number two is Black Coffee. I mean, Black Coffee brings the vibes. I, mean, I know he's newer on the scene, but... I've been to a couple of his parties around the world, and they always have this great, like, energy to them. So between Ruckus and, and uh, Black Coffee. Big shout to Ruckus. We hope to be able to see you soon in person, my friend. Next question. What is the place that you long to return to? Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the south of France. So at some point, I'd love to have a house in Antibes, not in the mix and craziness, but somewhere perched up on a big hill where I could see the Bay of Antibes and take mm. my family every summer. I'd be out summer home. Beautiful. Yeah. I, please invite me when that happens. Next one. <laughs> is one wine region of the world that you think is undiscovered, untouched, or underappreciated? Um, I have to say South African wines. I think they're starting to gain a little bit more momentum, but I think uh, they're making some really good wines out of there. And I think 
you know, a little bit more attention needs to be paid, but I think they're going to really climb up higher in, in the ranks here for the scene. Beautiful. What is your favorite annual event? Oh, shit. Uh, Art Basel. Art Basel, Miami. Art Basel, Miami, yes. Because, it, it, again, it's the vibe with people from all walks of life. And I'm not talking about, you know, we, as we know, living in Miami, not the Saturday-Sunday part of Art Basel, but much more the Monday through Thursday part where you get, you know, seriously uh, some serious art people, you get serious fashion people, and all of them just that lifestyle crowd. And it's just a vibe during that time of year. What is your favorite beach? Because I know you are a beach guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say, I went to the Sandbar Beach in Exumas that surprised the hell out of me. I thought I was in the Maldives somewhere. The water was so crystal clear. The sand was white. It was absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful. What would be your first leisure trip after you can? I'm coming back to Miami, man. I miss the water. I miss the beach. I miss <laughs> all of you guys. <laughs> oh, I'm going ask you, more, more, not so much a rapid fire question, but a, a, a general question. So, Lafette is the first African American owned rose being produced out of Provence, correct? Out of Saint Tropez, correct. Excuse me, yeah. out of Saint Tropez. Now, yeah. for me, I've done my research. I know you. I know your explanation of what Lafette is and what a party is. Like, would you? What do you say when someone says, "Are you a black person, rose?" Like, I know that's not your intention. And I think that, sadly, people get pigeonholed into the idea of brand marketing and they look at the first line of something or whatever. I don't think that is. To me, this to me, it's an inclusive brand. It's for everybody. Please explain. Yeah. I mean, listen, as you know, my background is from luxury marketing, from working for LVMH. And one of the things that every brand has noticed over the years is that you have to be inclusive, meaning you have to have messaging and cues to certain audiences. So what was happening in the rosé space is that everyone was coming out and it was all about the white woman in the Hamptons, flowy white dress, pink flowers. I mean, for example, you had white girl rosé. So that kind of tells you where the marketing was going uh, yeah. for that category. So for me, it was a, the intent was to change the conversation and to include black and brown people into the conversation along with the general market consumer. It was never the intent to exclude anyone, um, but I think you will see if you look at any of our social media and advertising, we do have nods to people of color just because for so long they weren't seen in rosé, let alone the wine category in general. Yeah. Um, so my goal is to be inclusive, to bring more people into rosé, um, whether that be white, black, Hispanic, and even men, because if you look at a lot of the other rosé brands, they didn't really show heterosexual heterosexual men in those uh, ads or, or pictures or whatever. So yeah. for us, all of that, you will run the gamut from sports stars to the everyday man to black women, Hispanic women, Asians. And I think that's important as we move um, you know, post-COVID to really be inclusive and bring America and the country and the world back together. Well, man, I, I, I applaud you because there's so many times that demographics are overlooked, you know, like people are really too specific. And I think that Rosé in general, how you're exposing it from, from product perspective is emblematic of who should be enjoying it. Every single person. It's not just a yacht filled garden and vineyards. No, this could be dinner at home on a Monday night with a piece of fish and steak and it's winter outside and snowing. It's wine. And I think your approach to having inclusivity for everybody is amazing and it should never be pigeonholed. You should be applauded for 
bringing everybody in, attentions to a category, and attention to all the minds that can enjoy it. I applaud you massively. Thank you, thank you so Next much. Question. I appreciate it, What is your last good deed? What was the last good deed you did? Um, I think the last good deed, I had a friend um, who wanted to send her child on an exchange program for his senior year, and she didn't necessarily have the funds to do so. Um, so she called me up and said, hey, we're doing a little fundraiser. We can help, blah, blah, blah. So I actually gave her the money for the kid to go. Because again, for me, I know what travel has done for me and what doors and opportunities it has opened up for me. So I would never want to not let a child have that experience, which later on in life make him a much better person. So that was the last good deed that I did. That's amazing. And for those who don't know, which we will get into in a little bit, Donnie has an initiative with LaFette that percentage of proceeds go to actually helping underprivileged children to be able to have global experiences and to be able to become global citizens. So much of the education that Donnie did receive in his life was being able to experience the world. And I really applaud that you're doing that through LaFette to give underprivileged children the exposure to the world, which is a huge thing. Absolutely. Thank you, John. What is your last regret? My last regret. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think pre-COVID, I was so focused on work that I didn't spend some of the time I wish I, or now that I see how important it is with my son. Mm. So, you know, that will be reevaluated for sure as we begin to open back up. Like every meeting won't be as important. Every business trip won't be as important as well. Gotcha. Time. Yeah, time for sure. For sure. All right. Speaking of which, I want to talk about time and where you are right now, because I know you're in Atlanta. Can you give us a little, you know, everyone's got different different things happening. Like you're in Georgia. I'm in Florida. <laughs> They're opening up. They're crazy. Like, and, yeah. you know, it, Atlanta is just like one of those cities on earth that like just beats to its own drum more than any place. Like there is an Atlanta thing. It's not a Georgia thing. It's an Atlanta thing. Like, could you tell us what's happening in your mind in ATL right now? Yeah, I mean, you have, of course, you have the governor who's opened us up, opened the state up a couple of weeks ago. So you still have, you know, some people who are hesitant and don't want to go out, but the city's attempting to open back up. Um, I know we've caught a lot of flack on the news with citizens lining up at shopping malls and having car show parties in, in the parking lot. And, you know, we have to always be conscious that there's a social economic effect um, as a part of COVID that we all don't have big homes and backyards and things like that to escape. So I had to take a look at myself as I began to ride around and say, I understand why some of these people in this demographics are not sheltering in place. It's just not conducive to be in a one or two bedroom house or apartment with five and six or seven different people, yeah. et cetera. They don't have grocery stores in their neighborhood, so they have to travel far. Um, some of them are essential workers. So I think it's a lot of times that we won't, we're not looking at the social economic part of what COVID has done. Um, so that's one thing for Georgia. And then two, I think people are discovering parts of the city that they didn't really know existed. I mean, including myself, there's wonderful hiking trails with waterfalls and bamboo forests and all these things that are in the middle of the city that if life had not slowed down, a lot of people would not have uh, discovered for themselves. And, you know, hmm. so I think that's good as well. People are beginning to appreciate the city of Atlanta a little bit more and what it has to offer. Beautiful. Well, I think, to transition to our next section, I, you know, I, I do something yesterday, today, and beyond. We go in terms of topics that are of the person's expertise, and just saying, you know, the exposure of the Atlanta area. One thing I want to talk about with you, obviously, is travel-related. But I, I think before we get into the questions, I personally think that like domestic travel is going to explode. You know, like. Well, 
if you're within a two hour drive of my house, like that's yeah. happening first. And I think that people's discovery in their backyards is gonna be awesome. You know, like I went down to Homestead this past weekend right. and like fruits and vegetables. Like, yeah, that was cool. Gosh, and it was 40 minutes outside my door. What's that? You left the beach? Yeah, <laughs> believe it, right? But I, I think it's really interesting, like to put that in perspective. Like, you know, it, Atlanta is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, like it's in this incredible part of the country. It is when you fly into that Atlanta airport, you just see green as far as the eye can see, and yeah. it's it's absolutely beautiful. Cool. All right. So next question, we're gonna get into yesterday, today, and beyond. And I really want to focus with you beyond. Like people like us, we gotta talk about the future. It's not about what will be the new normal. We are in the new normal. Let's get into it, right? Yeah. First topic I want to speak to you about is luxury, right? What do you think about luxury today? Wine and spirits industry. Luxury for wine and spirits industry. Yeah, I think I think there's there, you know, brands that have that affinity and aspirational aspect will continue to do well. But there's also this swing of the pendulum back towards economical brands. Uh, we've seen it with the rise of Tito's vodka over the years. So I think you'll continue to see that as well, is that you'll always have your brands that have your status symbol. Yeah. I think COVID, they'll go back to being that special occasion drink, and then there'll be that everyday version of that, uh, of that thing. Um, but there's also the concern of what will on-premise look like as we open back up, because so many brands, including mine initially, was strictly on-premise, a lot of our business on-premise, beach clubs, hotels, restaurants, pools. What will that look like post-COVID? I know for us, we've had to make that pivot to direct-to-consumer uh, because we didn't have a lot of retail channels for the last year um, in order to get our product out to consumers. So there are gonna be a lot of things um, that are still to be determined of how that looks, but I can, for a while, we'll definitely see a lot. It'll be similar to 2007 uh, when a recession where people just weren't going out and buying tables and spending tons of money uh, on, you know, champagne bottles and vodka bottles, et cetera. It, they will, but it'll be that, you know, special occasion versus they'll be their everyday vodka, their everyday tequila, their everyday rosé wine. I mean, do you think, like, in terms of luxury consumption, listen, there's still always going to be rich people, right? And people will still have luxury. I mean, I believe a lot of it's going to be happening behind closed doors. Yeah. I think that flexing your money is going to be looked down upon at first. You shouldn't be pronouncing yourself. And I got the biggest order in the room. It's not going to be about that, right? But like when people think luxury, when you think rosé, people think of a luxury environment. Mm -hmm. So your bottle of rosé is 25 bucks. Yeah. That is fantastic, right? Like, what does luxury look like for you in terms of the guest experience going forward? Like, what is, what is, I think people are now even questioning, what is a luxury? Going to dinner is a luxury. Like, so I, the, the definition of luxury is, 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 is changing. Yeah, I mean, as we know it, is, I mean, that's even evident in the true luxury fashion houses when they're now working with streetwear designers and everything like that because the rules are bending and changing. So I think luxury is now truly defined by how the individual sees the brand and how, how to use said brand. Um, yeah. For me, I, I post a lot about, you know, French fries and rosé. So if I can go out and have truffle French fries and rosé somewhere, that's a luxury for me for the evening. And I think that's the way the world will see a lot of things. You'll still have your status symbols, but luxury will be up to the interpretation of the user. Gotcha. Next question for you. What do you think? Let's talk about day drinking. Yeah. Right. What do you think the future of day drinking is? Well, first of all, what do you think about day drinking in general? And where do you think it's going? 
I think po- I think because of COVID nineteen, that's all we all have been doing is day drinking. <laughs> day drinking is great. I don't know a single human being that dislikes day drinking. Exactly. Do you know anybody who dislikes it? Come on. Not at all. And, and, and listen, it's a it's a good um, alternative because I've had some of the best times day drinking that I don't even need to go out per se at night. I can have a night in after that. But I think yeah. day drinking will become a lot more popular because again, we'll still be in some sort of shelter in place sort of guidelines. So we can't run out to the brunch spots and pack out those places and wait in line for 45 minutes. So I think people will have a lot of those same experiences at home. Yeah. Um, hopefully for myself, I mean, uh, selfishly for myself, I should say we want day drinking to really take off because we think that is where people will begin to really engage with Jose a lot bit, a lot more. Although we still push it uh, in restaurants and fine dining at night as well, because we also want to change the narrative that it's only a daytime summertime seasonal drink totally so i mean obviously yes rosé can be consumed news alert news flash any moment of the day yeah. <laughs> be beautiful outside you can have it anytime you want because it is delicious it pairs wonderful with tons of cuisine get yourself a nice grilled salmon outside yeah. with a piece of rosé with some lemon on top of it you're going to be a very happy person yeah. right with a yeah. cucumber salad you're good to go so day drinking though it's interesting because when I think of day drinking, I think of my atmosphere, not yeah. night drinking the same way. Like day drinking, how am I curating this environment, right? Sure. So I think that rosé, which is interesting, you can kind of flip it, bring your day drinking feel tonight. Like yeah. focus on your environment. Like I think that people, when they day drink, they want the perfect setup. They want the outdoor, the buckets, the ice. Be that conscious of your consumption with rosé at night as well. How are you? Set up the environment the same way. Treat the same way you set up your day drinking to a nighttime setup, and you can it's, enjoy. It's definitely, I mean, day drinking is definitely a mood. I mean, you, as you stated, like you always think about how we do it. Is it on a terrace in in Paris? Is it at a beach club? Is it at laying on the beach at the pool? Any of those environments uh, is always a mood, so to speak, as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> vibe. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Day drinking will become more and more uh, prevalent, especially once we get outside of the big metropolitan cities. I think we've already owned that in Miami, New York, LA. We're now seeing more of that in the Dallas's, the Atlanta's, the Washington DC's of the world, where that that idea of uh, socializing and having fun is becoming much more prevalent. Totally. All right, next thing I wanna get into, let's try to combine all these things into one. Events, sponsorship, and loyalty. What do you feel about those things in the future? Yeah, I mean, events are going to be tough, man. Events are going to be tough. I mean, you know, people will, you know, states won't allow you to have large gatherings. Uh, people will be hesitant. How do you do events where you were sampling and people were in close quarters and really having these intimate, um, uh, intimate interactions with each other? I don't know. I think from a sponsorship standpoint, you know, companies are going to be resistant to spending the money because no one knows how consumers are going to get their product right now. Whereas before you would throw these big events knowing that they could go down the street to the next restaurant or hotel or the retail store. And we just don't know. Like this whole thing is shaking up the world as we know it. Um, so I think all of that's going to be scaled back drastically. I think towards the end or middle of 2021, it may start to come back. But I mean, for this year, certainly all of the big events that you've seen have been canceled. Samplings have been canceled. Uh, yeah. People, you know, brands aren't spending money. These poor social media influencers. I mean, those checks are drying up for those guys. Like it's a literally it's a poor, like, literally poor. Like, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in terms of loyalty, I think, again, it's it's the brands that were able to make 
their, their presence known on COVID will be the ones that come out of this um, strong, which is why I don't Say that one more so time. I think that's yeah. super important. Say that one more time. Yeah, the brands that are able to really maintain their presence and get in front of the consumer during COVID will come out of this thing strong, which to me is very confusing as to why so many brands are cutting their budgets because you've had a audience that was focused for the last two months on everything that came across the screen, whether it be television, a phone, a computer, whatever, and they went dark, which to me was a big mistake. But we actually did the opposite and we doubled down. Yeah. Uh, time period because we wanted to get the brand awareness so high to be top of mind that as soon as the light switch clicks to say we're open back up we are the brand that people are thinking about and say hey i remember seeing that brand let's go for that one yeah no i i couldn't agree with you more i think that for large brand silence right now can hurt them because uh, yeah. people are going to be like what did you do during this time to yeah. foster and maintain a relationship with your guest with your consumer and i think messaging is super important right because yeah. Now we're so conscious as consumers that I want to feel good about everything I purchase. Like yeah. the toothpaste to the deodorant to the the protein I eat. Yeah. Is there a story to that? Like give me give me my Twitter link story that I feel good about how I'm spending my dollars. And I think, you know, I know when I buy a bottle of Lafette, I know I'm helping some underprivileged child get on a plane when the time is right and go expose themselves to be a better global citizen. Hell yeah. You know? Absolutely. And like, I think mess, I, I totally agree. The loyalty now, the loyalty, the scales of justice of social media right now. Cause like, what does that even mean? But like, yeah. did you do this or that? Because sadly we, we judge too easily, you know, mm-hmm. we, we surface judge, you know, we live in this bulimic society of taking a message and regurgitating it. So yeah. top line messaging is super important. Totally agree. All right. Talk to me finally about inclusivity. I think this is a huge part for your brand and your messaging. I've read a lot of articles and interviews with you and I know you as a person. So for me, knowing your idea of inclusivity, I know Lafette is gonna kick ass because I know it's DNA. I know it's ethos. What does inclusivity mean to you? I mean, it it is what it is. It's like everyone should be invited and uncomfortable or comfortable excuse me in every setting i mean as you know in miami we just don't it's funny because i realized being back in atlanta doing this whole thing that when i lived in miami i didn't deal with the race thing as much and not to say the racism didn't exist but it's just yeah. a much more of an inclusive environment in miami than it is in most parts of the world or the united states so for me inclusivity is just that like every it should be it shouldn't be, oh, this is for white women, or this is for black men, or it's just, this is a great luxury product, a great brand for everyone. And when we say inclusivity, all we're saying is like, it's no reason a consumer can't go to our Instagram page and see themselves in any one photo. Just, that's all. <laughs> that's that's the message of inclusivity. I mean, excuse me, inclusivity. I think for so long, the wine industry has ignored the African-American consumer, which is why I said initially, like, this is a rosé where I'm going to bring African-American people into the category. But by no means did I ever say, oh, white people, you can't drink it. You know, it's just, you know, a lot of times with media and press, they grab one clickbait line and that becomes the whole entire narrative uh, for the brand. And for us, I mean, we're sold everywhere from Nobu to Harlem Hops uh, beer beer garden in Harlem. So that's what inclusivity is. That's one end to the other end. Everyone's invited. Well, man, I applaud you, your brand, your vision, uh, and identifying a segment in the business that really 
should be paid a lot more attention to. And I think that you have a lane and you're going to run with it. And any way that I and I know the million friends that you have across the world can help plow the road, we shall. Because Lafette should be in everyone's hands and they should be enjoying it any time of day. They should be having their own rosé party wherever they want to enjoy with friends and share amazing moments and memories. And I can't wait to have the next one with you. I am going to ask you to close this out. Get your what is the message you want to share with everybody right now? Um, Listen, man, support small business now more than ever. Uh, I've seen so many friends in the hospitality industry struggle through this, uh, including myself with the wine. I've seen where brands or companies have just told us, no, it's very important to support the small business because we help sustain the economy just as much as some of the quote unquote uh, larger brands. So if I say, so with that, support small business, restaurants, hotels, hospitality, Lafette du Rosé. And for us, you can find us on the web at www.lafetterose.com. And as uh, Josh said, for every bottle purchase, we donate a portion of the proceeds back to programs that send underprivileged kids on travel experiences around the world. My friend, you are a global citizen that everyone should have the privilege to meet in person. They should try your product because that's all the fabric of a great product and great intentions. And for everyone to share future memories together over a glass of Lafette, I hope it's soon with you. Thank you for getting a word in, my friend. And I will Thank see you. you. Okay? Be Thank safe. You. Have a Thank good one. Talk to you soon. Care. Bye.